Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan non-instant reaction dwarf cast for series 11, episode 1, Twentica. Yes, tonight's the night that, if we're honest, not many people have been waiting for, as Red Dwarf 11 finally hits the airways just seven days after everyone watched the episode online. Nevertheless, we've got all the reaction to Twentica coming right up, first impressions of the newly launched mobile game, and special correspondents will be reporting back from the Leicester Square fan screening. Plus, most excitingly of all, we've got an exclusive interview with guest star Rebecca Blackstone. Tonight's show is brought to you by a slightly understrength G&T team, and on a related note, get well soon John, you ridiculous bastard. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me via Skype are Jonathan Capps, Hello. Danny Stevenson, Hello. Yeah. And also with us are our studio guests, firstly Tom Pyatt. Hello. And a trio of official Red Dwarf fan club members, Alex Newsom. Hello. Joey Newsom. Hello. And Joe Sharples. Hi. Not Newsom. Not Newsom. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can leave a comment on the Let's Talk About Twentica on Dave post over at www.ganymede.tv or tweet us at Ganymede and Titan. So let's get started by looking at the episode's big talking points, as set out by us last week. And aptly enough, the first one is uh, headed straight into the action. Uh, this episode just gets going incredibly quickly. In fact, International Debris said on, uh, on G&T, I can't think of a single episode that gets going as quickly as this. Thoughts? So it's I think he's right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Well done. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> it's weird because it is right. It is unusual for the show. It seems like such an well. It seems like an extreme reaction to the perhaps slow going series ten, which was kind of unusual for Red Dwarf. This is equally unusual, but better. <laughs> yeah, going straight into it. Ooh. I apologise for that noise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was Danny's voice. <laughs> a real Mickey Mouse operation, etc. Uh, yeah, so it goes straight into the plot. We're straight on board uh, Starbug at the start, uh, and the jokes keep coming thick and fast as well. Uh, and it's it's very serious, sick style, isn't it? That opening scene. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I think it's. It, I mean, series six is the closest the Red, Red Dwarf has got to that kind of immediacy. I'm maybe thinking of uh, Polymorph 2. I think that, in fact, that starts with Rimmer alerting the crew. And then, yeah. obviously, you know, Lister's in bed and there's a slightly, you know, slightly slower, but everyone's pretty much in the cockpit and, you know, action stations. So, Funnily enough, I can think of um, possibly Back to Reality as well, which is currently mm. showing on Dave, goes straight into the block. But uh, we get an even bigger better reality vibe from the trailer, the uh, the clip from a as yet unknown episode. Yeah. So yeah, right, you... um... go on. No, it's okay. Fine. Uh, <laughs> during uh, Twinska, yeah, it it really I noticed today from watching it on uh, proper 
TV, uh, broadcast TV for the first time, uh, that it was um, the ad break came pretty late. Um, you don't really notice it when you're watching it on demand when there's no break in the middle, uh, or the way we watched it on, on demand anyway, which was by Sky. But yeah, it crams loads into the first uh, 40 minutes or so, and the break comes and so much has already happened. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's about 20 minutes in. Uh, I mean, it's, it's clearly been um, decided on, like, the best place in the episode for the break is here. And, you know, they're, they're not really just sticking to a hard 15 minutes and then a break and then the next 15 minutes. It's, it's considered. Job yeah. hold approved. <laughs> if only we know what you thought. Um <laughs> However, uh, there was one uh, negative comment, uh, well, more, probably more than one, but one negative comment that I picked out on GNT with regards to the pace of the episode. Uh, Performing Monkey says the last five minutes are rushed. It could easily have been a double episode. What do you think? I think we've said that about a lot of some of our favourite episodes. Yeah. In previous Dwarfcasts, you know, they're saying, well, it could have easily been a two-parter. And I, I think it's a common, common thing for the first six series. Um, I don't feel like it was particularly rushed. Uh, I think the and I'm problem, not entirely sure why I think that. I think if if the, if it had been a two-parter, you wouldn't have had that straight into the action at the beginning. You would have had them messing around on on Red Dwarf doing like nothing, because mm-hmm. they would have stretched it out more. So I think that would have negatively affected the episode for me anyway. I couldn't. I can't quite identify what you would have beefed up to make it a two-parter. It could have maybe done with forty minutes, or it could have um, existed in forty minutes quite comfortably. But like an hour's worth of Red Dwarf, probably not. Um, well, which no. I think is pretty much the sweet spot. Multi-parters have not been Red Dwarf's friend over the years. <laughs> no, they haven't. No, I don't, um, I don't think they've ever really worked as a thing. <laughs> That that rushed yeah. ending. I mean, I could. That that rushed ending may have been influenced, for all we know, by the fact that they didn't record it on the night. That's true. Yeah. And we don't know that necessarily that the ending that's on the final show was in the original script. It could have been redone in the. No. Week. Yeah, Doug said uh, at the time that um, Twenty Two was recorded, which was the last episode of um, of the series eleven block. He said that because it was the last one before Christmas. Um, they wanted to to wrap uh, on time, and so they held stuff over. But yeah, the the last scene back on Red Dwarf wasn't there in the um, in the recording. And um, I, did, the, I feel like it was nice to have it there, but it was a bit weird. <laughs> well, the ending um, moves in nicely to a, another point two of our of our talking points, which was bigger, better, smeggier. <laughs> is it is it those things and I think at the ending um, well first of all let's talk about the effects in general, the model shots what were everyone's thoughts on those I was going to mention this actually. I was uh, watching it back I've, uh, like, I've only watched it once when it was on demand and then I watched it again just, just before, just now and, and the one thing that stuck out for me was the um, it got very serious in terms of the crash very quickly mm. Um, like it, there did seem some genuine jeopardy going on. Like all of a sudden, Crane had gone offline, River had disappeared, and all of a sudden, Cat and Lister are about to crash. And the, genuinely, I've never really seen Red Dwarf kind of do that, other than in maybe Dimension Jump, where the, you know there's a genuine like peril going on. And 
it's been a long time since I've seen Red Dwarf actually feel like it genuinely felt dangerous. Mm. Like what they were doing actually felt like like they could genuinely get hurt here. You know, it was just I don't know if it was the, the, the shots and the way they're tilting the, 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 the camera angle so that everyone's diving, that kind of thing. I think that was really well done. I think it was really well shot. Yeah, um, I, so I think I in think general that entire scene is really, really well done. That sequence was really quite intense. And mm-hmm. the I'm unsure still on the quality of the model shots. I think that the the main problem seems to be with the compositing onto the backgrounds and there's some weird floatiness here and there, but the way it was all cut together and it lasted ages as well, like yeah. far longer than than any other crash as far as I can remember. And it and the pace was kept up and so a few dodgy composites on shots didn't really end up mattering and also that final our final impact of Starbug is is brilliant so it kind of <clears throat> it comes to a head and finishes really really well yeah um, really dramatic really quite exciting <laughs> Uh, Re- Renegade Rob posted a comment on GNT uh, the other day saying uh, pretty much that effects were gorgeous, sets were gorgeous, love the new Starbuck cockpit, the direction is superb. Clearly the effects are leagues ahead of ten, but what I admire more is the ambition of the plot. And that links into what you were just saying, Capsi, about um, how it, it now and Danny about how it now feels more perilous. That's kind of that's the the storytelling uh, that's the boost to the storytelling that good model shots give. Mm. I think in like sort yeah. of like Nemo Hawk as well, there's there's a genuine sense of peril there, but it's all done through dialogue rather than through sort of shot to shot positions. And it's like they're talking about getting to an ocean moon and all that kind of stuff, and it's kind of difficult to understand how dangerous and, and serious that situation is. But this one seems to have got there much quicker, much faster than than I've seen before, and I just think it did, they've done a really good job in in getting that across in a, in a very very short space of time. Uh, this is a word I used a lot in my review, but um, it just everything seems really confident. Like Doug's Doug's writing with confidence, like he's he's taking big ideas and he's, you know, yeah, I mean it's a huge idea for for a single episode. Just you know, just just like the olden days, really. And the confidence that he's writing, the frequency of the jokes, and the confidence of that directing as well. Like, you know, we're having a Starbuck crash, sod it, I'm going to make it last ages, and I'm going to ramp it up and ramp it up. And you can just really see, really see the confidence <laughs> and the, the, the ability just coming through on screen. And for any dodgy composites, I don't think the, the composites are any worse than 10, no. necessarily. I think the, at their worst in 20, they're probably on a par with a lot of what was in 10. And yeah. the composite was the problem with those model shots. It's noticeable that once you have model on actual model ground, mm. it suddenly looks so yeah. much better. Yeah, you can tell yeah. that the, most of the space shots are green screen. Well, probably not green screen if it's Starbuck, blue screen. It's, it's most noticeable when <laughs> it's most noticeable when Starbucks flying towards the ground. Yeah, space you can get away with it slightly easier, but yeah, I think the bit that jarred was me the most was the timey wimey mm. swirls. Um, I quite enjoyed that bit, bit to be fair. It makes a nice gif. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine, but it did look a little bit cartoony to me. Yeah. But, that's what but made it was th- fine. I could let it go. That's what made me think of the effects before. It's as the episode's coming to a climax, and, and Lister says his line about, yeah, but Pythagoras couldn't fly like this. And then it's just a, quite a normal shot of, of Starbucks <laughs> flying. It feels like it needed some yeah. triumphant special move to be busted out. 
Uh, but yeah. uh, another comment um, that sort of backs this up. Kyoso says on GNT, the lighting and direction were definitely as good as the set reports made them sound. This is the nicest Red Dwarf has ever looked, and I'm really looking forward to, sit to how the scenes on Red Dwarf itself are going to look, since we barely got a look at it here. Which is true. That's true. In the first episode of the new series, Red Dwarf is barely in it. And it's interesting that, um, which I think we must have mentioned on GNT at some point in the last, few, in the last week, uh, they used the Red Dwarf theme for establishing shots of Starbuck for the first time. Yeah, that, that stuck out. I'm not sure what I think about that. It's, it's not very important, but... <laughs> no, it's not. Should we move on? <laughs> Ooh, <Okay. laughs> we've got live comments about the uh, time hole wibbly thing. Sai says it looked a bit dodgy. Uh, and then Frostbite uh, says uh, the new Starbuck set, the coloured lighting warning shouldn't be over the door and why wasn't it flashing purple at least but I do like not alert as a, as a default yeah, state anyway uh, talking point three uh, from this episode is entitled jelly you say <laughs> which refers <laughs> it refers to the actor Kevin Alden and uh, if you're a fan of his you can go to G&T now to see an interview that we did which he took entirely seriously <laughs> <laughs> and answered all the questions with sincerity. And the funniest thing that's ever been published on GNT wasn't written by one of us. Absolutely nothing to do with us. We just sent him quite boring questions. <laughs> but yeah, this, what a guest cast this episode has. It's it's huge and really high quality. It is. Um, I mean, this was filmed last, and it and it seems like it's maybe been set up to be a, a last lot of episode. You know, big guest cast and um lots of lots of speaking parts as well like like pretty major i know the two police uh, police people were only in one scene but they were, they were pretty significant they were played well yeah but um yeah it's just it feels rich say again danny they got jokes as well, the actual, the, uh, the cops were sort of like, you know, making jokes when Lister was drinking out of the flask and stuff. It was like, oh, he's drinking out of an Elamire flask, get him, and all that kind of stuff. Like, They're doing science! And, you know, <laughs> everyone, got a good, everyone got good lines in it, you know. The smashing up of the toasters was very good as well. <laughs> yes. And, yeah, the actor Kevin Eldon is in Red Dwarf, and it's, it's great. It's a, it's a collision of two of my favourite things, Red Dwarf and the actor Kevin Eldon. And he played it perfectly, yeah. I think. I think um, from reports that I've heard, uh, people in this room may be able to confirm, um, Doug alluded on Twitter um, to um, things having changed between the... He made an edit between the early screenings and and the version that got aired. Mm. Was it... Uh, I heard that it was Kevin Eldon's voice is deeper. I the, um, Comparing the screening in Edinburgh to the one... To what was in tonight um i think his voice is slightly deeper than it was before and yeah. i think they cut a line one one line at the door one of to the lines. lady be good club yeah one of Pat's lines. I, I i might be misremembering but i think and curtis pointed it out to me i think he's right i think that originally there was a description of rimmer as well as a description of lister but uh, interesting we'll we'll see what ends up on the dvd but yeah, yeah i'm in two minds really Go on. Sorry. No, I think <laughs> we're about to return about, to the about same the point. Shift because it works 
the best for the character. Like I like quite, quite like the aggressive pitch shift when it comes to the character, but I I do want a kind of a cleaner feed of Kevin Eldon's voice because he's such a brilliant vocal performer. Yeah, that is one of his it's one of his things really. Well, it goes um, it goes back to the slightly tedious debate that we had on GNT last week about whether villains should be scary, funny, both, or whether they can be both. And I think it's a um, yeah, it, it's it's there to boost the scariness at perhaps the cost of the comedy. But then again, uh, does it make it funnier when they have their little lover's tiff that it's coming from this creepy robot so. voice? Yeah, it does definitely. And the, the the little Eldenisms don't get lost in that scene either. When he says a really good idea, yeah, <laughs> you can you can hear yeah. you can hear him perfectly with that. And also, it doesn't matter if he's got a pitch shift, a pitch shifted voice when he still has Kevin Eldon's face. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. the the cutaway or the, the look to the side is still the funniest moment in the episode. For yeah. Me. Do you notice in the background as well? Um, when he's he's saying that you know it doesn't mean that we can't we can't have fun and like I wasn't considering it but that's a really good idea. Um, the Suan Braun policewoman lady um, is doing evil agreement faces in the background as well. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing she's a, a, a page out of Hattie's book of acting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one one dissenting voice about the guest stars uh, came on GNT from Glenn Tokyo, who said uh, that the episode didn't have enough of the main four in it. Uh, a large percentage of lines were by the guest actors, which always takes me out of it a bit, and it feels a bit alien. Uh, yeah, I, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think there was still plenty for the main four. I mean, it's interesting as well, oh, yeah. because obviously this um, episode wasn't written as an opening episode, uh, necessarily, it was it was shot right at the end and brought forward. Um, so yeah, normally for the first episode of the series, you'd you'd see you'd seek to kind of re-establish the characters a little bit, uh, but it kind of did that anyway here, just naturally without it being forced. I thought the cockpit scene yeah. in particular. I like the new trend of, um, of of a little bit more focus on on the guests guest stars. I mean, last last series we had uh, Lemons in the beginning particularly had like whole scenes without any of the core cast and mm. it's really refreshing, I think. It, it, it's possibly a little jarring because it's not something that's necessarily traditional, but I like I like the variety because it gives Doug a little bit more room to, to try out some new things and mess about with some different characters. I do think that you'd probably think less of there being a lot of guest actors with a lot of lines if it were anything other than the first episode of the series. And I know that they've said that they didn't have a, an order in mind, but I find it difficult to believe that they ever thought that Twentica, originally, thought that Twentica would be anything other than the end of series, especially when Doug was talking at BAFTA about siphoning money off of Samsara to pay for Twentica, yeah. because they knew that that would be the expensive episode. Mm. Yeah, then they got to it and, and said, let's basically let's start with the really big, expensive one that we've been holding back it, on. So it, it makes sense. That you makes know, sense. You, you go with the episode that gets the big splash, gets the attention, it looks the most expensive. You want the first reviews are going to be the ones that matter. They're going to be the ones that get the most attention. Hmm. Yeah. So that that's why you do it. How it affects the rest of the series, you won't know till the rest of it's gone out. But. No. Well, um,. Pete Part 3 says that it seems a waste to get Kevin Eldon in and mess around with his voice. It's not a necessity for simulants to have a deep voice. 
And Cy Bromley says, uh, I wonder if they'll treat his voice on the smeg-ups and deleted scenes. I appreciate the effort, but I'd kind of like to hear him untreated. Uh, so, moving on to talking point four, which is, you can't rewrite history, not one line, uh, which is from Doctor Who. Uh, so, yeah, this is my point, that um, the the Exponoids went back in time, the crew followed them, they changed history so that um, all technological development stalled in the 1920s, and then at the end of the episode... All the exponoids got wiped out, and the crew went back to their own time. But none of this was fixed. So is, has history permanently yeah. changed now, in real life? No. Well, it has in that dimension. That's a, I, I take it to be that's a dimension that's splintered off. Using the theory that we've had in previous episodes, and indeed in the backwards book. Yeah. Maybe better than life as well. Um, Things that things are splintering off all the time. The universe that you're currently in didn't get changed, but that one did. Yeah. So you. So it, this was an alternate universe as well as an alternate timeline, or that one was created as per Crichton's speech at the end of Back to Earth. Actually, the book that's most like is Last Human. Yeah. If something as small as a decision would create another parallel universe, which actually I think is a real theory as well. Um, then something like um, someone pissing about with a, a timeline would almost certainly create at least one. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, you could even go so far to say, how do you know that the JMC universe, the one we are already in, is not the one that where technology was banned in the 1920s, therefore that when it actually got to the point where they were making stuff, that's where the GMC stuff is a bit shit, is because they didn't have enough technology by the 19, you know, by the 2000s in order to yeah. make it as good. Well, th this was know, my... That's not what happened, and therefore that is the status quo. And this was my uh, theory that <laughs> I, I, I posted on GNT last week, which was that, um, yeah, because of the... This is what the established history in the Red Dwarf universe, and because of what happened in the 20s to the 50s, uh, we then sort of using the leftover exponoid technology really caught up in the subsequent years, so that's why uh, you've got yeah. Red Dwarf exists, <laughs> and you know space exploration is a bigger thing in the Red Dwarf universe than it is in real life now. But someone yeah, sure. someone quite rightly pointed out on GNT that for that to work, then why would they come back to the like the crew would remember that. No. Yeah, well, they try to stop something that already happened. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they might not necessarily know because it was still in their future for that to go back and happen. It's yeah. Wibbly wobbly no, no. timey wimey. It's a timey wimey <laughs> thing. Really, so let's say they grew up like well, Lister and Rimmer grew up, and that had happened. I think they were so far in the future. Yeah. That. The history starts to kind of mush together and, and get a bit undefined as you go along. And maybe, you know, they knew that there was a a prohibition era, but the fact that it extended longer than it necessarily should have done and was for technology, you know, like that sort of stuff could get lost, you know, over what, 100 also, years? Also, if the Exponoids had, um, had kind of succeeded, then they could have written whatever they wanted in the history books that everybody learned from. It, yeah. it could be as simple as because it could be as simple. It could be as simple as because they were part of events. They didn't remember it until it happened. Like they were always destined to go and be part of that event. 
future. Yeah, and like in an admittedly different program in a multi Doctor episode of <laughs> Doctor Who, uh, why they doctors can't remember it happening the first time round. Uh, sound, oh, soundable object. Yeah. Basically, uh, go on. Fine. Sound, <laughs> soundable object said on GNT uh, that the Second World War wouldn't have taken place as the Exmanoids were ruling the world between the twenties and the fifties. So uh, time slides would be fucked. Oh yeah. And, I'm and not saying I actually there. believe why why that, that theory that no. they talking about. Well, is maybe one of those ones Hitler was like an Exmanoid. Ah. Yeah. Maybe Hitler was an Exmanoid. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Eldon has played Hitler on numerous occasions. Maybe in this universe, four of 27 was in disguise as Hitler. So. He's mostly played him as George Martin, though, to be fair. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, now, man. four of 27 actually being Hitler is... It's not a bad theory. Okay, new theory. Four of 27 is Hitler. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right, someone needs to. All the way back in 1989. Someone needs to make a fan video of time slides with all the footage of Hitler replaced by Kevin Eldon <laughs> doing Hitler as George Martin from It's Kevin. <laughs> Get on that while we uh, discuss the final of our talking points. Uh, is it shit or is it good? Uh, is it shit or is it good, Joey Newsom? Bloody good. Bloody good. Is it shit or is it good, Alex Newsom? I think it's excellent. Is it shit or is it good, uh, Joey Sharples? These are not, oh, Kevsy. Kevsy's <laughs> interrupting my brilliant opinions. <laughs> it, sorry. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was good. 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 Tom Pyatt. Shit or is it good? Not shit. It was not Ooh. shit. <laughs> I think we're all agreed that it's quite good. At the very least. I don't think anyone would say it's it's perfect. There's no. little things that you'd change. Probably most people would say that ending, perhaps. Yeah. But does the ending spoil the rest of no. the, the prior 27 or whatever it is? No. Minutes, 26 minutes? No. No, at all. I mean, it's so dense with jokes that there's bits where, you know, you can't quite believe they've fitted so many bits into the episodes. And it's, it's all to do with the pace again, but... You know, Crichton's nipple nuts. We've seen Crichton's nipple nuts for the first time. <laughs> and you forget, and Crichton yeah. walking up and down, recharging his dynamo. It's really, really good. So, a good test for me is thinking back over the episode and thinking, are there any jokes that I would rather weren't there? And while not all of them landed <laughs> in the same way, there's not a single joke in that episode I thought, oh, I could have done without that. Oh, I, I would say Mars That wasn't quite right. Everything belonged in that episode. I felt, it feels to me like it absolutely belonged in that episode and contributed. Well, Joey has, uh, has brought up the, the, the elephant in the room that, <laughs> Scotty, that Scottish <laughs> people... elephant. Scottish people will probably want to deep fry. Uh, the Mars bar joke. Explain <laughs> your feelings about the Mars bar joke. I just think it's a bit too obvious. You know, it's just... Uh, I think the writing for this episode has been so clever and, like we were saying, so fast-paced. It's confident, and I just felt it sort of dipped a bit with that. I just thought it was, it was like a knock-knock, who's there, who's there, Doctor, Doctor Who. It's just, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think the audience reaction to it makes people react to it more because it got yeah, a little... It got a little bit why it got that reaction, though. Not particularly. It's because that, with Cat going around spraying... 
that took ages, mm. and everyone was sort of tense, waiting for the next line. And it was the fact that it was a joke after a long silence, yeah. right. and yeah. just the visual of him constantly spraying the fire extinguisher. That's why it got a big reaction. Uh, it did get a laugh at the Edinburgh screening, though. Well, breaking news. Uh, yes. Pete, Pete Tranter's sister says, "Can I just interject? I'm Scottish, and I love the Mars Bar joke." <laughs> oh, there we go. But then someone did ask in the Q and A, Doug. Have you ever eaten a, a, a deep fried Mars bar? <laughs> uh, Andrew, who is half Scottish, says that he enjoyed Crichton being um, more private. I'm Mars half budget. Scottish, and oh. yeah. We need Andrew more. <laughs> so the the Scotch approve of the Mars bar joke. Two thirds of all Scots approve. <laughs> We've proven yeah, that now. The, uh, the the Crichton explaining why his head is the shape it is. It oh. has got belly laughs out of me every single time I've heard it. Uh, ooh. So I went for bobbing for apples in a cement mixer. Well, that, in, so, in, somebody said I'm Scottish and didn't find it funny at all. Thank so, you. Uh, it was now three quarters, <laughs> three quarters of all. I'm Scots. not saying it's xenophobic at all. <laughs> I just, it's obvious. But um, if, we're t- if we're talking favourite gags, I'm sorry, I've got to put a word out there for pram theory. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, pram theory was good. I, I love that. And what, what I like about that joke is that no one then explained to him that he was wrong, Agreed. which is what yeah. would have happened in previous series. Yeah. 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 Uh, no way for it to yeah. Yeah. left. Yeah. I definitely think most of the best lines in that were cats. Oh, and the other two that I'd highlight that. are the, uh, of course, he's moaning, he's just been shot. Yeah. And <laughs> the, you said you were a highborn. Uh, a man of distinction, a real big spender. <laughs> I think Danny's Danny John Jules's talents um, have really been uh, uh, really showcased in this episode. Mm. I, you know, and having been to a few uh, filmings for eleven, twelve, he's 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 getting better with age. He really is. I think also hilarious. Doug's writing of the character is better again. Like th- those gags, yeah. at least two of those, I would say, are not necessarily lines I was expecting from the. But his gag. delivery is. I think there should be um, oh, Robert should should probably get a mention as well. I can't quite put my finger on why he's better than ten, but he if he feel it feels like uh, Crichton feels a lot a lot more like Crichton than than he has since forever really. I think it's gonna be interesting because because that was the last of the that block to be filmed so he'd had like mm. the six weeks in front of the audience to yeah. get back into that into the swing of things so is he gonna get less like right as we go through is he gonna come <laughs> well, less it, comfortable I'm, I'm <laughs> five of doctor who Rob, Rob. um so they did that with matt smith they they put his first two part was one that they did like halfway through yeah. but then when they got to the first one he filmed he was brilliant in that as well, so yeah. maybe, maybe, yeah, it's a good idea. Says a lot for twelve though. If you know everyone was just getting better and more comfortable, and then they were straight into doing twelve. Yeah. Could I just um, put in a word for harmonies uh, joke? Then nobody goes up there. Which <laughs> <laughs> is brilliant. <laughs> And Harmony, Lucy, Pole in general. Yes, I meant she to mention her. Awesome. In the, yeah. She was the one we didn't mention in the guest star. I also like um, Einstein, or rather Bob the Bum. David Stern. <laughs> David Stern. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to sum up, is it shit or is it good? A few comments from G&T. Uh, F1 Smeghead. Ah, Smeg. Uh, F1 Smeghead <laughs> says, A sci-fi comedy has two jobs to do. Be funny and be sci-fi. Made me laugh, made me think, made me excited for the remainder of 11 and for what 12 will bring. Job well done. 
And uh, Performing Monkey says, Twentica is better than anything in 10, 8, and everything in 7 but Tika. Discuss. Ooh. I yeah, said this, uh, thinking back to my set report uh, last December, uh, I said that it was my favourite episode, bar none, um, from Series 7 onwards, uh, based on the recording. Based on the finished version, I'm not sure, and I don't like it any less. I think just maybe the excitement of seeing that happen in front of me overpowered my senses a little bit. But I'm going to have to give it a few more watches before I, I see whether it's up there with some of my favourite stuff from 10. But I think it probably is. But I'm just I'm just That's scaling back that opinion slightly until I've had more time to judge. The, the ending not... Conversely... Oh, go on, Capsie. No, it's okay. This is the Gaspatrous Deep Podcast. Go. I the ending that has gone on the end of the episode has sort of slightly knocked it back from the recording for me. I I it was I I think I expected something slightly different, but it, it, but I do, it doesn't bother me. But uh, it just takes it back ever so slightly from where I was at with it. But I find I just, I don't know that I can really compare it to say the beginning because they're such different episodes. If the beginning is a sort of very low key affair, as a lot of series ten is, Twentica's five six. Yeah, five, six. yeah um, they're totally different periods of the show. How do you compare them? Yeah, I think ten is going to end up being um, this this weird outlier curio. Um, I mean, if 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 Twentica's any indication and, and we're going to keep getting these really really strong like six vibes and five possibly based on the trailers then uh, ten's going to end up occupying a really strange strange place but i mean conversely from from what you were saying ian i, I watched it quite a few times now i didn't see it recorded so i've, I've had that kind of um first hit of it yeah and i i mean not only do i like this more than anything in ten it might it might, like, thinking of the Pearl Pole, it might, <laughs> you know, start breaking into the 36. Yeah. Tickling at the edges, anyway. <laughs> Twentica, tickling at the edges. Tickling um, at the edges of my 36. <laughs> uh, right, I think it's about time we moved on. Uh, coming up soon, we'll be discussing the Red Dwarf 11 game and tonight's fan premiere, which several people in this room attended. Ooh. Uh, but first, it's time for the first part of... Oh, for the word first twice there in that sentence. That's good writing. Uh, first, it's time for the first part of our exclusive interview with the actress formerly known as Pre. It's Big Bang Beryl herself, Rebecca Stevenson. Rebecca Stevenson. Stevenson. It's, I don't know where the fuck that came from. Rebecca Stevenson, is that a person? Sydney Stevenson. Sydney, Sydney Stevenson. <laughs> Oh well, <laughs> that's, that, that's this ruined. First they get a name wrong in the credits. <laughs> it's Big Bang Beryl herself, Rebecca Blackstone. So, Rebecca, welcome back to Red Dwarf and welcome back to Ganymede and Titan. It's been four <laughs> years since our last chat. What have you been up to in the last oh four my. years? Goodness. Start off with an easy one. Oh, wow. What have I been up to in four years? A lot and nothing at all in some ways. I've done a couple things here and there, done some voiceover stuff here and there. I've uh, had a little baby. 
Hey. Uh, yay! And but don't um, cheer too loudly, otherwise she'll wake up and this will ruin the whole thing. That's true. Um, and she's already been to um, the Red Dwarf set, so <laughs> starting them young. <laughs> exactly. She was like seven months old when she visited the set, um, and then yeah. So I don't know a lot. A lot. Well, I imagine one of the main highlights was that you went to Dimension Jump in 2013. Uh, what's been well, What's been your experience yeah, of Red Dwarf fans and uh, how they reacted to pre? They're amazing. The Red Dwarf fans are amazing. Um, I had heard this and then going to Dimension Jump, which was an awesome event, and you're right, was a, was a highlight of these last four years. Everyone was so welcoming and nice and... I met some really great people and um, did a lot of dancing. <laughs> that was really fun. And I uh, had a brilliant time. It was really, really fun. And um, hopefully we'll return. Well, TBC. <laughs> I was looking over at the uh, at Josh Apples from the fan club. TBC. Oh, you're welcome. You know that, Rebecca. <laughs> oh, thank you, Joe. Uh, but in the meantime, you're now back in the first episode of Red Dwarf Series 11. Uh, how did that come about? Um, yeah, it's so um, great to have been back and um, shocking to be asked back. I got a call um, saying would I come in and see Linda and meet for this um, uh, this part. And I went and I saw her, and she's the nicest ever. And it was just kind of like I read the read the part, and then um, got a call on Friday, being like, uh, "You know, here you go." Cool. So um, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's so exciting! Yes, please, love to be back." And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing to be back. It's a real honor, um, and I loved, I loved being a part of it the first time, and getting to be a part of it again was an amazing bonus, and I just felt so lucky. So. Well, obviously, it was a different studio to last time, but other than that, was the atmosphere yeah. the same behind the scenes? Uh, it was warmer, so that was a definite bonus. <laughs> um, it was so cold in the last studio um yeah it was the environment was the same it was i mean the guys are amazing everyone is so nice everyone's so welcoming everyone's um up for a really good time it's just such a fun atmosphere to be a part of and to walk on set and it, it felt great and seeing the guys again and um Getting to reconnect was really fun. It, it, it was hard to believe that four years had gone by, mm. but everyone is just as funny and nice and jovial as as they were four years ago. So Good. it was a real. It, it was a it was a huge change from last time, though, because um, the first time uh, it was the guys and then me and one other guy, and this time it was I mean huge, mm. huge. The production values were crazy and there were so many more people on set so it, it was a different feel in that respect but um but kind of the heart 
was the same. I was about to ask that actually. With the the major differences in how things were being run, did it did it feel any different in terms of the production and how it all worked? I think. Well, the last time I did it, I was there every single day, mm. um, and this time I wasn't there as much during the week. Uh, so, and my part was obviously significantly smaller. Mm. So it was. Um, I didn't have as much kind of time even. So that, that sort of changed the, the um, experience for me a little bit. And, um, but it felt, I mean, it did feel a little more intense this time, yeah. I think, in, in a great way, um, just in the sense that there, because there were so many people, it was um, a lot more like, we need to get this done, we need to get this done, we need to get this done. Yeah. Not but- that it wasn't efficient last time, but it was just in a different way because we had just so much there was so much to, to do yeah. um, and a lot more technical stuff, uh, which comes across, I think, in the episode of um, just the scale of the set. I mean, mm. in general, but also just there were a lot more, um, a lot more elements to each shot and stuff. So well, I, mean, yeah. last, I was sitting by myself, you know, with some lighting and, and a camera and you know so this was a very different experience and it was great I mean it was great to get to do both um, such wildly different uh, versions of yeah well this time around you got to actually perform in front of the audience rather than being hidden around the back did that yeah. uh, did that change the way you approached it at all well I think I've done mainly theater so I'm probably used to mm. more audience interaction or being closer to that than I have done sort of TV. So it was nice to, because I think the first time, I think people didn't know that I was there. Yeah. um, Until there was some corpsing and... um, That was my uh, memory of it, that all of a sudden the video that was being played had come to life. (laughs) That's cool. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I felt very tucked away last time, so I, I didn't feel maybe as much of the energy of the audience the yeah. first time. So this time, it, I mean, it was, it's so nice because everyone was just, you felt that everyone was excited to be there. Mm. And uh, it's, you know, it's nice getting to to feel more a part of that, I guess, than I got to last time, I suppose. And the second part of that interview will be coming up later in the show. Uh, Sorry if it was a bit quiet, as some people have said. um, When we do the proper edited version of this, I'll make it a bit louder. I think it was just that was quieter compared to us. So anyway, uh, first, before the second part of that interview, it's time to uh, talk about the fan screening of Twentica and Samsara that took place in Leicester Square tonight. Uh, And official Red Dwarf fan club representatives Joey Newsom and Joe Sharples were there. Talk about it. All right, um, we were there. It was good. Um, Doug was there. Um, I've had a, a look at some of the pictures since we left because because we are uh, 
you know, we wanted to get back for the broadcast. Mm-hmm. We missed the actual screening. So oh. I hope you're grateful, guys. <laughs> well, it seems um, Samsara is not coming out now till tomorrow, so you have actually missed out on a chance yeah. to see Samsara real early. So, so. thanks for that, everyone. <laughs> Cheers. Um, yeah, so um, we got to have a, a quick look around before they started letting people in. Um, if you would like to have a look at the Red Dwarf, the official Red Dwarf fan club Twitter, we have Black tweeted Mark. some photos. That's at T-R-O-D-F-C, I believe. That's correct. Um, they had a few props, so they had like a bazookoid and some other guns. Um, they had a big old um, stand-up with the faces cut out of Rummer and Lister so that you could stand behind and have photos <laughs> so taken. So naturally we did. So obviously we did that. Um... <laughs> There were there's some nice little bits of theming. So they had like the the cups um were leopard lager, um like designs on the outside which was nice. Um, and they had a bit of merch there on sale as well. They they didn't, they didn't have everything. They didn't, but they had a good selection. Yeah. And of course, it's it's attendees' only chance to get it mm. before yeah. the official shop ships. Um, the merch, which I believe is going to be in October. October. So um, I know Joe, you picked up a, a eleven t-shirt. I picked up a t-shirt, and it's very nice. Did you pay for it afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Um, so yeah, so they had they had a few bits there, um, and that was nice. That everyone that was at the screening got um, a free goodie bag, little goodie bag, which is nice. And they had little um, red dwarf themed snacks out. On everyone's chairs. Did you try the curried popcorn? No, no, I left them for people that were sat there. So. I don't think I would have done even if I was offered no. to be Curried honest. popcorn and was it uh, mango chutney poppet flavour? Yeah, pop-up, pop-up, which pop-up actually dons. sounds quite yeah, nice. Yeah, that's fine. That would have been fine. They also had some exclusive production shots um, yes. on in the frames. All if you've ever been to the Prince Charles Cinema, they've got they usually have um, film shots all the way up the stairs um, and outside and things like that. And they were all replaced with Red Dwarf 11 and 12 sneakily production yes. shots, <laughs> um, which were really nice. We've not seen any of those before. Yeah. Really gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, you can see those if you go to um, the fan club on Facebook, uh, just search for the official Red Dwarf fan club. You did a Facebook Live video where you could get a good glimpse of those. Also, in the uh, in the spirit of friendly cooperation between fan sites, I will point out that um, at Gaspacho Soup RD is also a good place to see those photos. Uh, the ones that were outside anyway, because you swung by. Well, it's like five minutes away from my work, so yeah. I went by thinking, I remember what happened with the Series 10 screening. Things turned up early and no one knew what to do with them. So, yeah, they had Starbug and Scutters and all that sort of stuff, just propped outside the building <laughs> to work out where they could do it, put it while people ran up and took photos quickly and got selfies with scutters. So we got a good look at the, the Starbuck model outside. Uh, it really sounds like the kind of atmosphere that we had at the Series 10 premiere four years ago, but that was the day before. And so yeah. I, I would other... say it was a slightly nicer atmosphere, I would yeah. say, because the, although the 10 premiere was fantastic and it was kind of like the first of its kind to be done for Red Dwarf, really, um, it it was a it was a press screening and there were lots of celebrities there and things like this. This was pure fandom, mm. um, and it was so buzzy um, and everyone just had massive smiles on their faces. Um, everyone was milling about and it, it it had just a really nice solid sense of community. And I thought you know that it just testament to the show really. And 
just overall the whole feel of the effort that's been put in um, by all the teams, you know, UK TV, yeah, um, Taylor Herring, the PR agency that was running really it. Um, shout out to those guys because they just put every effort into it. I have to admit, I'm much more on board of the idea of Ian Boldsworth introducing the episode than Paul Ross, as it was last time. Now, given <laughs> what Paul happens to Paul Ross's <laughs> career after that, we just hope that I... Ian Boldsworth doesn't now get caught sorting meow meow for retired ex no, masters I, I think... back when dogging. I don't think Ian actually did introduce it because we did see a gentleman with a microphone um, who was in a nice suit. I'm not sure. He, I know he was given something. Yeah. He was given like a piece of paper that he seemed to be, which looked like he might have to read something. I don't know. Um, Basically, yeah. we don't know. So we're just weren't there, left. Yeah. No, we're guessing. <laughs> we got asked as we left. We did. We did. You're not staying. <laughs> we did yeah, receive no. some uh, tweets with pictures of. Uh, What's his name? Ian, Ian Boldsworth. Boldsworth. Was Ray Peacock. Uh, he got married to someone called Boldsworth or something. Uh, no, no, that's his real name. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are photos of him doing an introduction. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So, um, what was it? Yeah, so Kerry, uh, Kerry Woodall was there and, and Doug was there. Um, Danko. Uh, yeah, Danko. Um, the, the few faces Matt, we the saw. Yeah, Matt, the floor manager. Yeah, Matt, the floor manager. John's Mad wants to know, we're eternal there. Gary Bushell. <laughs> Sadly not, no. <laughs> Red Dwarf. Oh, maybe they were late, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was it was really nice. It was a it was a really nice atmosphere. The room wasn't 100% full, um, no. which was a huge shame, I think. Um, because the tickets went yes. just like that. Well, part yeah. of the reason for that is it wasn't in the same room that the Series 10 one was. The Series 10 one was in the big room downstairs. Yeah. This one was in the small one upstairs. So I think, they would have gone I think once everyone sat down, I think probably the majority of the seats would have been taken, but there were, there were still a few gaps. It was, it was a bit gappy. Um, yeah. Which was a shame, really, especially because I know, you know there's lots of people that would have liked the opportunity to go. This but... is the issue with free things. Yeah. It happens with the BBC all the time. Mm. You know, we saw it at the yeah. 11 and 12 recordings. Yeah, free tickets, people don't, people don't necessarily have the incentive it. to turn up. But obviously, Alex, you and I were lucky enough to attend the, the BAFTA screening of Twentica and Samsara a couple of weeks ago, and you had to pay for those tickets if i think even bafta members had to pay and it was there were a few empty seats in there too mm. so people yeah, were given that it was that it was sold mm. out pretty much straight away mm. people must have bought tickets and then not turned up and people really did want to go to that so Edinburgh you know well. but yeah but yeah we we had a lovely time mm. at the um at the fun event we chatted to a few people who recognized from dimension, dimension jump, jump and yeah. and just general fandom um <laughs> And yeah, have a look at our um, Facebook live video. I apologise, it's a bit rubbish. That is my first Facebook live video. I thought it was all right. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to, yeah, I sort of just give you a bit a little tour so you can see everything that was there. So. And we also did Periscope, but as I understand, um, <laughs> large chunks of that went missing during broadcast, which may explain why we lost viewers. Um, I think there was a reception issue in the in the venue, but um, yeah, if you're going up you and know, downstairs and stuff, we're just trying out the technology. We were testing it yeah. out. We did our best. Well, you'd never see us making basic mistakes <laughs> with live broadcasting, <laughs> and uh, and our thanks to Rebecca Stevenson again. <laughs> uh, right, shall we? Uh, another thing that's happened this week. I mean, there's been quite a lot happening in the last couple of weeks. I would I would say uh, new shop launched. Uh, new episodes on UK TV Play, new episode on Dave tonight. Uh, the Red Dwarf game launched today, or more accurately, very late last night on iOS and uh, this morning on Android. 
Uh, is everyone has everyone had a go? I yes. haven't had a go yet. Yeah. 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 I've downloaded it this morning because I'm on Android and iOS got it first. Um, but I I am looking forward to playing it because everyone's been saying nice things. Have you played so it? Say more nice things. I have played it. Uh, Ian was playing it last night. I was playing it a bit last night when it first became available, and uh, it's good, Uh, but it seems really difficult. Um, My my process. I mean, it like don't want to give away too many spoilers because well, uh, we can give away twenty spoilers now because it's been on the telly. But I'm aware that some people want to just play through the game. But it it does clever things with the narrative. It fits into the episode very well in in a way that kind of surprised me at first. I was impressed by that. But the actual mini games themselves, blimey, <laughs> there's there's a very. I only played the first couple of levels and then had a bit of a strop because um, I, <laughs> I'm a hard light. Got stuck on. I'm a hard light hologram and hard light hologram shouldn't be killed by bazookoid fire. That's well, all I said. It was a lot richer <laughs> when Joey was playing. When Joey was playing, it very much went to soft light as Rimmer walked straight through the wall out into deep space. Oh, he did. And, and then when I played a level earlier on today, Crichton suddenly started jumping up and down on the spot, uh, <laughs> 70 feet into the sky, before landing on top of a building and then jumping into a black oblivion. I think which was maybe he was recharging his dynamo. But what you're saying about the difficulty of the game, what I found as I was playing because I've been playing for hours. Um, on lunch breaks and everything, and commuting. Can I have one? Um, it, it's the games are hard, but it's it's like like that the the level where you're playing Rimmer. It wants you to do it in a very specific way, mm. and it's not necessarily the way that you would expect to do it. And then once you suddenly realise, oh, that's how I'm supposed to be playing this level. Suddenly, then it's straightforward. Well, Capsi, you are an experienced gamer, uh, especially mobile games uh, you're never off your fat ass on your mobile uh, and I believe you play, You had a good playthrough today I did, I, I had a playthrough at lunchtime um, while creating exciting content Ooh. that should appear in a day or so um, and I, I did I, I really enjoyed it um, I've played it more since, since making the video but I, the difficulty thing is is interesting because I'm, I'm finding it it's nice to actually have a mobile game that's difficult and and kind of give, that gives you a nice kind of feeling of um accomplishment when you get past it but i was i was finding some of the difficulty elements are kind of maybe not intended uh, the, the first mini game with starbug and that can completely and utterly screw you yeah and there's nothing you can do about it and um yeah, there's, there's some there's some interesting quirks, but I really admire the different things they've thrown at it, and there's also a huge amount. Uh, this is one sixth of the game, and Twentica on its own, I think, has about ten ten mini game sections that are all stitched together, um, and that's quite an impressive. That's that's an impressive amount of work. So, um, and considering how different imagine some of the sections will be in the different episodes. I'm, I'm really yeah. quite impressed. There's a lot to come. Um, Pendo uh, says that he received an email from Game Digits asking him for feedback about the issues that he tweeted about. Uh, and Pendo says they seem really keen to iron out all the kinks and make the gameplay smoother. 
So that's promising that's good. as well. Yeah, we... They seem like a good company. Um, Alex, uh, who Kepsi um, is in touch with, Alex McEwen, who is the person at UKTV who's been involved most with um, the merchandise and with the game. Um, she works incredibly hard and we should all like her a lot. Okay. Um, she was saying that um, if, you know, if people have issues with the game and stuff, then like to let them know because, you know, they can't fix it if they don't know about it. Um, they said the one thing that they were aware of, there's an issue apparently with Samsung S4s. S4, yeah. Um, and it won't play on those particular phones. No idea why, but they are working on that. They're aware of it and they're working on it. Um, on that subject, there's I'm looking at the Google Play Store page right now, and right at the start, there was five one-star reviews, all of which were reporting a black screen, like you yeah. just weren't getting yeah. anything when they when they opened up the app. I had that initially when I was running it on the the emulator that I was using to make the video, and I just closed it reopened it and then it worked so mm -hmm. and that seems to actually like there's a have bought it tried to open it just a black screen and literally done nothing else and got a refund and put in a one-star review so mm -hmm. you know yeah well they, they are reading they are reading the reviews as well like so if people are putting problems you know, it, on there it just seemed a bit it's, hasty because you know it's hard when you to just downloaded a there. big game sometimes sometimes your phone needs to restart in order yeah. for everything to click into place you know uh, for example, so, in terms um, of fixing faults, when I first downloaded it last night, I was greeted uh, by uh, Crichton saying, Welcome, uh, W-E-L-L-C-O-M-E. -L -L -E. <laughs> and that has now been fixed in the last 24 hours. So Have they also fixed no. that originally when you logged out of the game, it said, Warning, this game contains 20 spoilers. Yes, and now is when <laughs> and you start when the you game, start. which is a lot more useful. <laughs> you, you were saying, Joey, last night that the game is sort of very arcadey. It's like a proper yes. arcade so, game. I love my arcade games, as you know, and one of my favourites is the Jurassic Park game. And the way that... It, it's the first level specifically. Um, obviously, I'm not going to give away too many spoilers, but the way that it plays, it would... Just that level would feel so right in that that uh, immersive style of arcade game, you know, where you sit in a booth and the, and the screen's curved around you. Mm. It would work brilliantly. If that's not a potential licence, I don't know what is... I mean, a lot of people have talked about, you know, how would you approach a Red Dwarf game, and generally when people talk about it, their suggestions are terrible. But the, <laughs> but, but the way that they've approached it in this game is actually pretty good. It's a good mix of different styles I... of gameplay. Okay, you know, the first level you've got Starboat flying, but it's on rails, but just like an arcade game, so what? That's yeah. spoilers. Um, it's the first I, I would say <laughs> yeah. that I have been floored by it, by the quality, by the richness of um, the game um, just so much more than I expected and this isn't because I got low expectations this is purely because tie-in mobile games are never really anything to write home about but mm. this really is and it's just so it's, rich it's, it's way amazing. better than your average even if I am stuck on a certain I, level I yeah. can't get past <laughs> there's <laughs> even some like... little bits when they're doing the, the cut scenes with the Twentica stuff there's some little things in there that are nice touches uh, when they're playing the message from the Exponoids, the mute symbol yeah. it just suddenly stops and then you have to click it again and suddenly the mute symbol flashes <laughs> up and on and off that's just a really nice little touch. When, when we were talking to Alex earlier, I can't remember, you might remember the exact number, but she said it's been out 24 hours on iOS, 
and it's already what in the charts? Oh, it's 50, 50, uh, 50 something. 50 yeah. something. Yeah, I think it's. And that's without promotion. Yeah, it's right the promotion, yeah. and it, you know, it went live last night. Exactly, so it's crazy. It's gone up quite a lot. Um, one thing, other thing she did say as well was that um, the next lot of content, which will be obviously Samsara based, isn't going to be available for three weeks. Oh, there's oh. going to be about three um, gaps. So there's going to be like three week gaps oh, okay. between each update. Okay. Sorry, guys. On that subject, actually, I've, I've got already have a, a slight kind of um, correction to make to a video that isn't up yet. But um, <laughs> at first blush, I mean, obviously it's one pound ninety nine on all stores. Yeah. And um, at first blush, it seemed like that meant no microtransactions whatsoever, so they wouldn't be asking for any more money for any extra bits. Since then, I've noticed that there's a great big restore purchases button in the menu that doesn't currently do do anything because you can't buy anything. So I imagine, turns out, there will be a way to something to unlock samsara if you haven't met the in-game requirements yet right so mm. that seems fair just, though if a just, lot of people are struggling with the difficulty that. i don't think yeah. it's fair when you're charging £1.99 for a mobile game but it is the mm. least worst type of microtransactions yes yeah. and it remains to be seen it remains <laughs> to be seen how it, yeah. it's all going to work and if you've got a, if you if they're doing the big gaps as well between it you know it's not like you know people have got yeah. time to catch up if if they're not you know as gamey and don't you know don't play the these kind of games as much um so it kind of it's a nice balancer um and also i i it's well i know some people are going to be really disappointed that it's going to be three weeks before there's another one i would rather they spend the three weeks making it look yeah gorgeous and making it yeah, making yeah. it fun it ma- and playable, and it makes the whole rushing it. It makes the whole experience last longer as well. Yeah, and you, you don't feel like you have to rush through yeah. one section to get to the next one straight away. Yeah, it it, it plays into the fact that everyone's going to play with different ability. Yeah. in how quickly they can complete it, and a week yeah. might not necessarily yeah. be enough time. And then that's play it on thing and Everyone who's playing it along now, no one's going to need well you know very few people are particularly going to need to pay to unlock the next block because yeah. yeah if it's three weeks then that's plenty of time to chip away although we, we don't know what the in-game requirements actually are to unlock the next episode but i can't imagine they're going to be anything Other than major finish the last, um, finish the last yeah. Level, yeah. anyway we uh kind of need to move on because we've still got a lot to get through uh coming soon we'll be delving into some small points uh, by which I mean whichever tiny details from the episode, uh, Twentica, you know, the one we were talking about like half an hour ago. <laughs> uh, any small points from Twentica that you'd like us to discuss, uh, tweet us right now at Ganymede Titan or leave your comments in the Spreaker chat, which is looking very healthy tonight. Uh, thank you very much. But first, it's time for the second part of our interview with Rebecca Blackstone, uh, which starts with a textbook example of how to ask a concise and insightful interview question. Enjoy. Did you, you mentioned that you weren't there as much during the week, but did you get enough rehearsal time on the night? Because I, re- I was at the recording and I remember the scene where you have to convert the club from being a science den to being a gin joint. It looked like it was a really well choreographed move. Did you have time to sort of figure that out between you all? 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's amazing what was achieved in the time given. Yeah. It was it was really ambitious, and I think that it was pulled off really really well. I'm super impressed. You know, because in theater you would have had four weeks to figure that out, and there we had maybe a few hours mm. if that to kind of figure everything out. I mean, that's kind of the excitement of it too, is that there's um, it was like here we go, and then it, but um, yes, we did have time to to look at it, and we did have time to rehearse it. We had a day of rehearsal um, right. before the, so we had tech. Uh, rehearsal and then we had the rehearsal the morning of the live performance so there was time and yeah, uh, I don't think he could have done that without any rehearsal that would have been that would have been mayhem yeah <laughs> but I, I, I really do think it's amazing what they were able to choreograph in that time it was really 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 cool and I believe as well that there was a bit that you sort of threw in on the night uh, extra little bit of flirting <laughs> with the cat yeah um that I don't know what came over me. <laughs> I don't. I don't really remember what happened. I was possessed by Big Bang Bertha, but <laughs> she was super excited to be on set. And uh, yeah, it was just really fun. It was a funny moment that shall be one of my fond memories of my time on the Red Dwarf set. Yeah. But um, I know that. Not much of that made it, which is totally understandable. There's, there's a nice little bit. There's a nice dirty. little cutaway. Well, that's good, but yeah, it was um, it was fun. It was fun. You got to work closely with uh, with Lucy Pohl. Uh, yeah. And was it nice for someone else to have the complicated dialogue this time? It was kind of nice. Yeah, I will say. I mean, obviously. The, the, the crazy thing is I still remember I think all my lines um, because they were so tough so I remember I just practiced them and practiced them and practiced them so I still have them embedded in my memory some please dialogue I suspect Lucy will have that dialogue in her head for a very long time but yeah. she did it and she was amazing she was really it was it was fun to watch it to see I think how it comes across to other people yeah. you know what I mean just getting to see um and she was excellent i mean she's fantastic to work with and a really great actress and um i thought she was she was just great yeah. and uh I, but yes of course it's it's nice to see when someone has such tricky dialogue and seeing it trip off the tongue was very impressive and uh what did you make of uh, kevin alden you have a comedy legend He's hilarious. He's hilarious. But, you know, I mean, with the best comedy people, it's just so effortless. Yeah. He was just so funny. It was great seeing him work and how just... He kind of, in a way, didn't really break character, mm. you know? So it was interesting to see that. and um, But how funny that his uh, character was and how... I loved I loved being in that room. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love being in a room with that much comedic talent? Oh, it must be good. Bouncing about. Well, you were there, you know. Yeah. Wasn't that fun? It was funny. I mean, they're great. Yeah, I remember you know? Yeah, Kevin Alden improvising several different versions of his line on the night. I think that's such a 
you know, that's, that's such a talent. I don't think I have that, but, um, it was great seeing, um, someone who just knows what's funny. Yeah. And, uh, have you seen the finished episode yet? I have. What do you make of it? It's incredible. It's beautiful. Visually, it's stunning. It's amazing. Um, I think it's a fantastic episode. It's so, I mean, it, it's worlds different from the one I was a part of last time, but yeah. that's what's great about Red Dwarf is every episode is so different. Um, but this one, it, it's, as I said, it's just visually stunning and, um, and, and very funny, if I do say so myself. Yeah. Very, very funny. <laughs> well, that seems to be the consensus from the fans as well, so, yeah. Oh, that's bad. It's a good episode. That's bad. They are extremely important, so their opinion very, very, very much does matter. Good. So, it's good that they find it funny. You yeah. found it funny? You've seen it, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's great. Um, I said in my um, in my set report at the time that it's possibly my favorite episode of the last twenty odd years. No. So, really? Yeah. That's amazing. That's and, great. And it's all thanks to Big Bang Barrel. <laughs> Which is a great, a great uh, character name to have on your CV, by the way. <laughs> that, be... I love Big Bang Barrel. Well, she wasn't actually named that. She was Woman de la Nuit ah. when I um, first found out about it. But Big Bang, Big Bang Barrel. I kind of want to do like a cabaret act for Big Bang Barrel. <laughs> you know? she... and she's fun. Fantastic. But, um, oh, I'm glad that you liked the episode that much. Was it... it Sorry, am I allowed to ask you a question? <laughs> Fine, turn the tables. <laughs> so, oh, excellent. So, Ian, tell me, um, what is it like when you see the episode when you're watching the, the the in the studio audience, and then you see it? Was it how? Um, well, there's nearly how is that versus the finished product. Well, there's nearly a year in between, uh, basically ten months, and so there's little bits that you remember and there's little bits that you forget about and so it is a it's an odd experience it's i found with series 10 that the the episodes that i didn't watch recorded i reacted better to when they were broadcast on the night because they were completely fresh whereas you get you do get a little bit distracted when you're watching back an episode that you've seen recorded and you're trying to remember what happened next and you know your your mind starts to wonder a little bit but yeah and does that did you know at the time when you were in the studio audience that this was going to rank so highly in your favorites. Yeah, that was yeah. My impression on the night was that it was a it was a particularly good one. Uh, it's just the fact that there was, it's a really tight plot. It's a really coherent story from start to finish, and there's no messing about. And uh, mm. and yeah, comedically really good as well. Uh, great guest stars, uh, obviously present company included. Oh, and, uh, thank you. And yeah, just. Kevin Eldon being in Red Dwarf is is a big plus point as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I yes, that is pretty awesome. So that's yeah, it I mean it is a great story. It yeah. really is a great story. And um hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, well um, I'm so glad to see you back on Red Dwarf and it's great thank to have you, you back on our stupid podcast as well. Uh, uh it's the best podcast excuse me oh that's true yeah thanks um thank you for talking to me and it's so good to be back yay so good to be back it really is so fun to be a part of well rebecca 
have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Oh, bye. A huge thank you to Rebecca Blackstone for letting us pester her twice in the space of only four years. Uh, now it's time to take a look at some of your small points. Uh, and there's been lots coming in via uh, Twitter and, speak- and Spreaker. Um, Ali Green uh, tweeted us uh, to say that the, the capacitor that Bob the Bum put together was actually made by attaching disco fingers to a screw. Uh, I wasn't familiar with the product Disco Fingers until uh, until Ali's tweet, uh, which included a picture. Um, we just retweeted that from Ganymede Titan, so you can see, yes, the uh, the capacitor was made with Disco Fingers. Oh, wow. and, uh, small lights that attach to one's fingers. <laughs> um, what other small points? Um, Pete Part 3 pointed out that uh, Richard Herring has tweeted to say that Red Dwarf is not as bad as he first thought. Uh, he said that he'd just been watching a few episodes. Presumably that was on Dave. He was watching Back to Reality Marooned, you'd assume. So uh, let's see if we can interview Richard Herring uh, about his, lo- <laughs> his newfound love of Red Dwarf. Are you going to sit him down Clockwork Orange style and force him to watch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, we've ripped off so much of his material over the years. <laughs> it's it's only fair enough. Um, so, uh, some more small points. Uh, Jonathan F. Young, a.k.a. John's Mad, uh, points out, uh, at the recording, Rimmer being teleported out and kidnapped was actually done live to the audience, which freaked us all out. Uh, we could hear them in the Starbucks set, but not really see into it. And um, through what we saw on the screen, uh, they did the teleport uh, as a vision mixer thing, uh, which I'd forgotten all about, but I remember yeah. that now. That was really good. <laughs> that was a really great bit of live sort of vision mixing that will never be seen. <laughs> Uh, because it was just done for the audience on the night, but it worked really well. We were quite shocked. Rimmer just disappeared in front of our eyes. That's because they mixed to a still. No, they... I don't know. I don't know how they did it on the night. Magic! Yeah, doing magic. Yeah, yeah, it must have been been a a, a bit of... Yeah, it was between VT and live, uh, mixing between VT and live. In real time, oh, and, that's and did really well. Um, John's Mad also says another point from the night is that they cut out Crichton's sax solo, uh, which yeah, when during the scene where the exponoids go into the uh, just before the exponoids go into the speakeasy, and uh, what's her name, Suan Braun, Suan Braun. uh, Braun's cop, uh, ask, ask, it's just after the line about putting his head in a um, bobbin for apples and a cement mixer. Uh, she asks him what he does, and he says, I'm just playing with the band, ma'am. Uh, on the night, in a deleted scene, he demonstrated that with a sax solo, which I believe was a original cue from Howard Goodall, because I think he'd tweeted about that at some point. Um, oh, we had yeah, mentioned for, for spoiler yeah. purposes. Uh, he's, he, I think Howard tweeted Robert saying, good luck with the sax solo. And then that got cut, uh, so we'll presumably be on the DVD. I'm quite glad that the other thing that got cut was cut. The good deleted scenes are stacking up for this episode. Uh, what was cut, Alex? There was an extra bit of them getting away at the end. It had them driving off after they ran out of the, the Lady Be Good Club. They ran back to the car and they started driving away and it was a rear projection gag. Right, yes. Oh, yeah. Which was funny, but it 
takes you entirely out of the episode because suddenly it's a rear projection gag. I did, I did think at the time that that was maybe just a temporary thing for the night uh, that they were intending to replace. But yeah, you don't really need it. In the end, they just cut from them leaving the club to being on Starbuck. Someone tweeted the other day. I can't remember who it was, so sorry if so they're listening. <laughs> Someone tweeted to say that they'd spoken to Doug at one of the screenings about it, and and Doug said exactly that that it just took you out of the world. That's why they took it out. Right. Yeah. Maybe it was a a fifties movie or like a, a kind of silent movie, prohibition era movie pastiche. It didn't really come across. Oh no, that's yeah, that's exactly, that's what, it exactly was. what it was. But the problem was that it it just suddenly it was out of world. To for and there's already there's a fair a little bit of fourth wally type stuff mm. in the episode talking about the uh, not being afraid to resort to hackneyed old cliches, <laughs> which again seem to be controversial on G and T because some people don't like there being comedy in Red Dwarf, <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it. Uh, Stephen Abootman um, says, I don't know if this is stating the obvious, but Rimmer doesn't seem particularly cowardly anymore. Almost authoritative, telling the others to say nothing when Alden said the Exponoids were looking for him, rather than looking to hide in the back. And uh, He kind of is hiding. Yeah, he's, hide, he's not physically hiding, but he's hiding behind the others. Yeah. Um, Pete Trans' sister says, maybe Rimmer grew a pair after the beginning. Um, maybe this is character development. He's not. He's not that far though because I mean he's talking about he's not going to negotiate with them and then as soon as he finds out that they've got him yes. he's absolutely prepared to negotiate with them that's pretty cowardly there's that yellow streak <laughs> yeah yeah maybe it's it's not outwardly being um, being expressed so much uh, but then it's it's more rounded human naturalistic charactering characterization charactering that's a word <laughs> um, Andrew asks as his small point will we ever learn what happened after series 8 no no. 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 Doesn't even matter. No. No, it doesn't. No. No. <laughs> what happened after series eight? No, 13 Andrew. years of trying to get a film. No. Uh, Pete sister points out that the end theme is in mono, not stereo. How strange. Uh, I have not got the ears to cope with that. Um, but that you have two, though. I <laughs> <that laughs> do have two ears, yes. <laughs> Uh, Danny, uh, mono or is it dual mono? It must be dual mono because otherwise it'd only be coming out of one speaker. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's something's something's happened there. Um, Dan Pendo Pendleton, uh, does anyone else think the Exponoid ship looks very similar to the crashed Nova question mark ship that we saw in the trailer? Possibly the same model redressed or the same ship in another episode. Well, that's interesting. I never thought of that. I, I like the redressed idea. That sounds yeah. Yeah, I think it's extremely unlikely to be the same ship, like in in story, be the same ship yeah. because um, we know that Twenty Two was recorded last in series eleven, and I don't think Doug has gone on record as saying that all the stories stand alone and there's very little in the way of of running threads throughout the series. It's not like a gunman uh, rumor world situation. I mean, it might be true that it might be a redressed version of that ship to be the number five, but it's obviously yeah. not part of the story that they are, that, it is the ship, that obviously it's meant to be another ship and not an exploring ship, and that's the idea that we'll take away from that. Yeah. Uh, Danny, I believe you have a small point to raise. Uh, yeah, my small point was um, Lister, not for the first time, has been given the opportunity to stay on Earth and won't do because of uh, the jeopardy of Crayon. Yeah. Um, I thought that was an interesting little thing. Like, that is kind of a throwaway thing, but it's actually quite a big deal for Lister. Like, he had the opportunity to stay on Earth and he chose not to again. 
Um, it's also a really nice detail from Doug. This. Yeah, we didn't need that explanation, but it was nice. Yeah, yeah, it was just, it was just a very weird thing. Thompson is like, oh yeah, your listeners could be on Earth. He could like rumors even saying you could stay here, and he's actually been nice about it, and he's actually been genuine, and you know, and then he realizes that you know he can't stay either. Um, but it's the fact that you know, Crying can't, you know, Crying can't survive. Therefore, I'm not staying here, and I think that's really nice. I think it's a really interesting bit of characterization there. So. Well, they always say, like, there has been points, like, we people talked about after Series 10, after Lemons, why didn't they just stay there? And I think various things over the years, like the the progression of the show and the way Lister has matured over the last however many years it is in universe now, it's really hard to, to yeah. pin that down. But, um, you know, at a basic level, things like saying the slime's coming home, referring to Red Dwarf, is like, uh, Lister is aware that not... Not any version of Earth is home. Uh, he'd rather be on Red Dwarf with, crucially, with Crichton, Rimmer and Cat uh, than be yeah. on his own on a version of Earth. And don't forget, originally he had this utopian dream of uh, Fiji. And yeah. is any of that ever going to live up to that? No. It's absolutely, you're right. Um, he's a dreamer and it's just not perfect it's not perfect and therefore he won't stay and that yeah now that he's in his 40s he's a lot more realistic yeah. about actually i'm probably better off sticking where i am yeah with his buds he's also talking about kachansky a lot less so maybe he's yeah. just decided that she's been gone that long she's probably dead <laughs> she was probably quite annoying <laughs> she was quite annoying anyway he's probably better off without her <laughs> he probably shrugged and just gone with his day <laughs> that's what happens when we <laughs> die flew straight out of red dwarf and hit an asteroid <laughs> Kachansky died on the way to our home planet. <laughs> uh, my small point uh, is to look out for Craig's faces in the um, in the initial cockpit scene. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> uh, Danny gets a round of applause from the audience, or Cap does rather, for the line um, at the end of the controversial rule of three sequence <laughs> where he says again if he dies not a problem uh, there's a there's a little bit of applause to ride and and craig <laughs> or lister gives cat a look or craig gives danny a look and it looks like a proud dad is like oh you did a joke you did a really good joke <laughs> yeah that his face there looks more like a natural craig yeah. Reaction than it does a list like yeah. a, a scripted. Is perhaps hiding yeah. a corpse. In... Yeah. Didn't they retake that scene a lot? Because I seem to remember that one of the cast asked them to just stop for a while so that they could just get Collect. back to where they were yeah. and remember their lines and then do it again. And I wonder if I can't remember when that scene came and that business it, taking place, it, but whether yeah, it's a sort of reaction of, oh, we got through it. Yeah. <laughs> There's also, he does a great face uh, after he says the line about, I've got to go and speak to the DA. <laughs> he does a little disgusted face. Because, <laughs> oh, the bloody DA. <laughs> and uh, I would also like to state my favourite um, line of the episode, other than, uh, don't say anything, <laughs> uh, comes, uh, it's something that you may miss, it, <laughs> when they're walking off with who they think is Einstein, uh, that turns out to be... <laughs> Uh, Bob the Bum, <laughs> Crichton talking to him on the way up. No one, no one's going to touch your string. We won't touch your string. The string is fine. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's a bits, bits of Crichton carrying on at the end of scenes. Clearly, where there are no more lines, and he's just waiting for for Doug to say cut. That happens a bit. It happens in Back to Earth, where he's like, that's not us, sir. It's it's good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. I always find them kind of sort of little mini lines, especially background stuff, to be good. And, and, and usually it's coming from crying or Robert in general. And it's just, you know, like, when he's sort of saying, oh, Socky, other Socky, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Those little sort of weird lines that he comes out with. Just it brilliant. is. It's often Crichton more than anyone else. Well, what you were saying earlier about uh, Crichton stuff was really enjoyable, but you can't pick out a moment. Maybe that's why. Mm. He's, he's the George Harrison of this episode. <laughs> he's not the most outstanding that you're going to spot, but he's holding it together. Perfect. <laughs> uh, does anyone have any more small points? Um, I would just like to mention, obviously, you've had your Rebecca interviews and everything. Yeah. So you've had you've you've been talking about her in a way, but but I haven't talked about her. Oh yeah, I've been hogging the Rebecca. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I just uh, I thought she was really good. Um, the um ad libbing that she did um when she was like flirting with Kat, yeah. yeah, that actually at the recording went on for a lot longer. There was a, quite a lot of kind of back and forth, and I think Craig got involved in it as well. <laughs> um, it went on for a little while, but it was it was really good. And like, it's a shame there wasn't more of that in there, but I think what was in there was was very good it was perfect it was a good reaction yeah, yeah. big bang barrel lover <laughs> the deleted scenes for this episode are going to be golden aren't they Kevin Eldon's improvs that people have mentioned and yeah. playing, playing the saxophone uh, one final, I think, small point. Um, Pendo says uh, that he's been confused by Einstein Bob. He wasn't Einstein, but they were told that Einstein walks around with a pram full of string. So how many people are walking around with prams full of string? And the answer is at least uh, two. Yes. Yeah, two people. <laughs> Both of whom so, look like Einstein. A minimum of two people, possibly more people. It could uh, be Einstein a had a twin, uh, Judas. <laughs> <laughs> Judas Einstein. Judas Einstein. Right. Uh, I have a small point yes. since we're talking about faces. Carry on. Um, Lucy Paul's face, uh, after pretty much every single joke out of the <laughs> 70 million that she gets given in this in this episode, just really just sold every single joke she made, basically. Yeah. I, I thought that was very effective. It's something that could have maybe got a bit tiring. It's like, all right, Doug calm down with the jokes now but she she absolutely sold every single one yeah it wasn't it wasn't overtly like it wasn't too sexy it wasn't too flirty the way she was delivering the innuendo based lines were quite matter of fact which made them funnier they were played straight um but with a quite ridiculous 20s style (laughs) accent and yeah a very funny face double slit test is quite the euphemism (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. All the guest cast were American. We'll say it again. Uh, yes, uh, I think maybe one or two exceptions. Um, David Stern, obviously, isn't it? But yeah, uh, they were either American, Canadian, or part American. Which is the same. Yeah, yeah I think Joanne <laughs> Brun is um, oh, South, South African. African, but she's obviously worked in Canada and stuff a lot with Stargate stuff. Uh, I wonder if. Having worked with Swan Brown, Chris Barry would still say that he's never met a nice South African. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Um, anyway, uh, Samsara is the next episode of Red Dwarf 11, and we were kind of assuming that it would be online by now, but it, it's not. and uh, No one seems to have alerted us to that while it's on air, so 
That's probably why we've got a fair number of people listening live because they we're not competing with a new episode of Red Dwarf. So <laughs> thanks UK TV Play yeah. for fitting your schedule around us, which I'm sure is what's happened. Uh, so yeah, Give and us a nice little rest. Um, I was also assuming uh, that there'd be a little trailer for Samsara at the end of Twenty Grand Dave, as was the pattern last year, but no. So no, no speci- no episode specific trailer has been made. Um, I have not seen Samsara in any form. Uh, I know that Capsi yeah. or Danny haven't either. But uh, Joey and Alex were at the uh, BAFTA screening last week. Yes. You are not allowed to say Mm-mm. anything Mm-mm. about the episode, but Mm-mm. was it good? I, well, I went to the audience recording as well, and it was my least favourite of 11. <coughs> my opinion has changed a bit on the basis of the episode we saw, but I'm not going to say in what way. <laughs> it's now my double worst episode. <laughs> <laughs> the double double episode. Differently for me as that I went to one recording of Series 11, and that's actually Episode 3. Or it, it, it was the first recorded, but it's Episode 3 in the lineup. Um, now having seen all three of those, obviously not give and take on screen yet, um, I would probably put Samsara as the third, but but it's still up there for me with uh, the best bits of ten. I think you know everything I've seen so far is, um, and and then some. But I would also say, it, for me, it takes a different kind of route that other episodes maybe not have have not. Um, and I think you'll see what what I mean when it's on. It's just. It's different. It's it's played very differently, in my opinion, and I think that sort of takes a little bit of getting used to. Well, Doug wanted to start the series with that episode. Um, I don't think that would have been no, the right place for no. it. And, and, and the fact that they made sort of talked him round into going with something else tells you already that it's a different type of episode. But I, I've, I, I've found it interesting that a lot of the reaction I've seen online has been very positive actually in those sort of early reviewer not I'm not saying anything about it things um, yeah just well, not not from any respects of what the episode's like just normally after the first episode those sort of reviewers coming back tend to start throwing in a criticism or two with episode two yeah. well, we'll see it's interesting uh, we've, we're told by uh, Dave that it will be online tomorrow i.e. Friday um, we'll post a discussion thread for you on GNT uh, first thing tomorrow morning and update that with a link when it happens. Uh, we will also be bringing uh, those of you who are watching at UK TV Playplace some talking points for Samsara uh, later on on Friday, followed by our review over the weekend and Caps's coverage of Red Dwarf 11, the game, will also be following this week. Uh, we'll be live dwarfcasting again this time next week. And if you've missed any of tonight's show, you can catch up on Spreaker right now or on www.genemy.tv, iTunes and all good podcatchers tomorrow. Uh, thanks to our guests, Alex Newsom, Joey Newsom, Tom Pyatt and Joe Sharples. Another big get well soon to my longest serving friend, John Hoare. And thank you all for listening. Until next week, Ed bye everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.